My name is Wayan, I'm one of the leaders in SIBKL, and uh, a majority, a bulk of my time serving here is with LifeGen, uh, our next generation uh, church plant soon. Um, and, and we want to praise God for that. Um, but, amen, praise God, yes. Um, but we've, from this pulpit, we've been really looking at the book of Haggai. Um, and, and we've, you've probably heard this name come up so often uh, over the past weeks that we've been here in service. And, and we're going to continue with that because there are a lot of things that God has downloaded to us even through two chapters of Haggai. So if you've read Haggai chapter one and chapter two, pat yourself on the back, you've got one book of the Bible ticked off your list today, all right? This year, one book of the Bible ticked off your list. There is more to come, all right? God just didn't speak in Haggai. There's more to come. But we wanna look at Haggai and continue to ask ourselves, what does it mean uh, for us as Christians? What does it mean for us as members of this church, as people who follow Jesus in our generation. So can you just turn with me right now to Haggai chapter 1? Haggai chapter 1, verses 12 to 15. Haggai chapter 1, verses 12 to 15. I'm going to read from there. And, and if you don't have your Bibles with you, it's on the screen, just read along with me. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the priest, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God, and the words of Haggai the prophet, as the Lord their God had sent him. And the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke to the people with the Lord's message, I am with you, declares the Lord. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel. Just say, say with me, stirred up. Stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, the governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God, on the 24th day of the month, in the sixth month, in the second year of Darius the king. It's a familiar passage if you've been following us uh, through the book of Haggai, uh, but I want to just start off with some observations. What I'm going to do, as you've noticed, um, I've asked you to just repeat the word stirred up, right? And, and the title of this message is When God Stirs Your Heart. So today, the word that I want you to take home is the word stir, all right? So just look at the person on the right and the left, all right, say stir, stir. all right, stir. Now, Start off with a few observations first. I'm going to give you a bit of background um, because Haggai, in, in the time when Haggai was taking place, or when, when, when what we've read was taking place, it was roughly 20 to 25 years from the time that the temple had initially been started to be built. So I'm going to backtrack a bit and give you a bit of a stirring history. All right, so a stirring history of how God moved an entire nation 25, 20 to 25 years ago and then lead themselves up to the time of Haggai, the prophet. So turn with me now to Ezra chapter 1. All right, flip to your left, Ezra chapter 1. How many of you made it, you find it difficult to find the book of Haggai at the start? Right? So very easy to remember, Haggai is the third book from the, from the last in the Old Testament. Okay? 
I used to look at the Bible like it's a dictionary, right? So I reached Isaiah, then your hair guy starts with H, right? I flip left. Then I realized, eh, wrong. Flip right. Okay, so just remember, Haggai is the third book, but Ezra, Ezra is even more ahead in front, all right? After Second Chronicles, all right? After Second Chronicles, so turn with me to Ezra chapter 1. Okay, now, beef, brief, beef, brief background. Um, the kingdom of Judah was overtaken by Babylon, and that's what you will see uh, uh, in the history of the kingdom of Judah. But Babylon subsequently was taken over by the Persian Empire. And so what happens now in Ezra chapter 1 is we're going to read what happens when the king of Persia, no longer Babylon, but the king of Persia begins to make a powerful decree. Ezra Chapter 1. In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up. Say, stirred up. Stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and also put it in writing. Very important, in writing. Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, the Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has charged me to build for him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Whoever is among you, sorry, whoever is among you of all his people, may his God be with him and let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and rebuild the house of the Lord, the God of Israel. He is the God who is in Jerusalem. And let each survivor, in whatever place he sojourns, be assisted by the men of his place with silver and gold, with goods and with beasts, besides free will offerings for the house of God that is in Jerusalem. Then rose up the heads of the fathers' houses of Judah and Benjamin, and the priests and the Levites, everyone whose spirit God had stirred to go up to rebuild the house of the Lord. Repeat again after me. God had stirred. That's stirred. God had stirred to go up to rebuild the house of the Lord that is in Jerusalem. And all who were about them aided them with vessels of silver, with gold, with goods, with beasts, and with costly wares, besides all that was freely offered. Now, I don't know if you've noticed this, but when, when I went through this particular passage, there is a moment when you read this and you reminds you, and this passage sort of reminds you of the story of the Exodus. I'm not sure if that's happened to you, but it happened to me. And so I decided to just kind of figure out what are the similarities, what are the differences, and what, what makes this story so much a part of the story of the nation of Israel. And so I, I did a little comparison. And so we're just going to look at the passage of the Exodus and the pilgrimage of the exiles. First of all, some similarities. You will notice that this was a scenario where the Jews were going into their land from a foreign land, right? So this is a situation where at the Exodus, they were leaving Egypt in the time of Moses and Aaron, leaving Egypt and then going into the land that was promised to them, to their forefathers. And similarly, in the situation that we're reading about today, we've got these people coming from all throughout Persia, leaving their 
their, their, their land that they're staying in, I won't say it's their hometown because that's not their homeland, but now leaving that foreign land and then going back to Jerusalem. Second one is the order to go back to Jerusalem was issued by a pagan Gentile king. Not a Jewish king, not any of the kings on the line of David, but a pagan Gentile king, similar to Pharaoh. Pharaoh was also pagan, was also Gentile. They left their own places, their own foreign lands, with a lot of silver, gold, animals, offerings, jewelry, clothing, and and in both situations, whether you leave Persia or you leave Egypt, both of them, in both situations, they took out more items than they ever had when they were there in captivity. And they took all these items back into the land that God had called them to. What was really interesting also is this. The return of the Jews back to Jerusalem from Persia was prophesied. It was prophesied by Jeremiah. And and you would see this in Ezra chapter 1, verse 1. It says that the word through the prophet Jeremiah would be fulfilled. It was prophesied for them that they would return to Israel. They would return to Jerusalem. But similarly, together with the Israelites back in the Exodus, their forefathers knew that Egypt was not where they were going to stay. Their forefathers knew that the land that God had promised their forefathers was the promised land that we know today as Israel. So here's here's some similarities, but make no mistake, there are many, many differences. For example, Judah, Jerusalem, was actually still Persian property. It was within the entire empire, just a different location. Right? So it wasn't a situation where Cyrus, king of Persia, was going to release an entire nation to, to build their own kingdom and go out of this place. No. Not like the Egyptian pharaoh. But they moved him from one area of Persia to another area of the empire. We also know that not all of the Jews left their different regions in Persia to go back to Jerusalem. We also know that the exiles returned to Jerusalem in stages. The reason why we know that some of these uh, exiled Jews remained is because we read of them. For example, Daniel. Daniel was high up administration officer, administration official, sort of like your cabinet minister in Persia at that time. Nehemiah was a cupbearer to the king. And Esther was a queen of Persia. But the majority of them, a lot of these Jews were called and stirred by God to go back. The exodus happened once, the exiles returned in stages. But most importantly, and this is the one I want to point out, is this. There was a singular purpose that led the entire group of exiles to leave their Persian lands and go back to Jerusalem. And that purpose is to rebuild the house of the Lord to rebuild the house of the Lord. Now, I want you to begin to just get an idea of how remarkable this thing is. First of all, you are, if let's say you're a Jew in captivity, you, are, you, you don't have any real status, all right, in, in terms of that community, in terms of that society. And yet, the king of Persia, the king of this entire empire, 
makes this decree saying that the Lord, the God of heaven, who had given him all these kingdoms, interesting, he recognizes that God has given it to him. Most kings, when you overtake an empire, you say, this is me and my army, this is my power, this is, this is my skill, my wisdom, my, my military might. But he says, God has given this to me. But God has also charged me. God has charged me to rebuild the house of the Lord, the God of Israel, which is in Jerusalem. At the very least, uh, this decree was interesting. Uh. Like, wow, interesting. Uh, he made this kind of decree. But I think this is what was really happening. It was a remarkably crazy, miraculous decree. Because you would never have expected it of, of anyone for that matter, to make a decree and, not, and, and say this, God charged me to build a house in Jerusalem for him. And so all of you Jews in captivity at the moment, if you decide that you want to go, go ahead. Go and do this. And over and above that, talk to the people around you because you can ask them and I will tell them to help you by giving you silver, giving you gold, giving you their animals, giving you their clothing, their costly wares, and free will offerings. That means more than just the stuff that I'm going to ask them to give you, out of their heart, right, give some more. No? And so you have silver, gold, costly wares, animals, and it says there in Ezra, besides that, free will offerings as well. And so this was, this was miraculous. This is Wow, this is mind-blowing because the king of Persia is doing this, an outright decree to rebuild the house of, at Jerusalem. How does God do it? How does God do it? How does God begin to do this in the hearts of people? The word there is the same word we use when we make our Milo every day. We stir. All right, so again, stir. Let's just repeat after me, right? Stir. All right, so question. Trick question, quick question. Um, how many of you stir with your right hand? Okay, all right, good. How many of you stir with your left hand? A lot of Benjamites here, all right. Um, how many of you stir with a teaspoon? Okay, no, all right. Um, now, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Although it doesn't occur very often, although it doesn't occur very often, the word stir occurs very strategically. It's not one of those words that you, you know when you do a Bible study and you go, wow, this word happens so many times, God must be saying something. This word doesn't happen that often. But the moment you ask yourself, how does God do it? The answer is stir. And he stirred up the spirit of the king, of Cyrus, the king Cyrus. He stirred up the Jews. He stirred up the, the people whom he had called to go back. And so this is, these are some of the examples. The, king of, the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, the Lord stirred up. When it came to the, the Jews, everyone whose spirit God had stirred, that was the word we used because that was what God was doing. Now the word stir essentially is this. It means to rouse or incite. All right, to rouse or incite, to awaken, to, to open your eyes, to increase passion, increase excitement. So this is the kind of word that we also use, for example, in the Bible, to stir up strife. 
I don't like you, and something causes me to do that, um, I'm, I'm angry at you, and whatever circumstance it is, th- those circumstances are stirring you up, all right? So it stirs up strife, stirs up anger, stirs up a war. It also means this, when you listen to a wonderful, wonderful performance of your favorite ballad, whatever that may be, right? Because of our age group here, I'm not going to make a shot and pick one, but um, you, you've listened to a wonderful rendition of a ballad, and then you say that I've listened to a stirring rendition of a ballad. Right? Very stirring. It moves your heart. Your emotions are responding as you, as you listen to it. And so very stirring. It's also the word that we use in the Song of Songs when it says, do not stir up or awaken love until it pleases. And in Hebrews, do not forget to stir one another on in love and in good deeds. There's stir for some of your versions. There's spur for some of your versions, but it's the same thing. You stir one another up. And so as much as God had stirred the hearts of the people in Persia, the king and the Jews, God does this today. He doesn't just stir the hearts of people who say, I want to go full time, but he stirs each and every one of us as we follow Jesus, as we spend time in the presence of God, as we pray, as we say, God, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, then God's going to start to stir your hearts to be involved in what God is doing. So today, if you recognize that God is stirring your heart This message is for you. This message is for you. I just want to say this at this point during worship. The word that came to my mind is peacemaker. Peacemaker. And I just want to say this because there there are probably at least some of you that this call, this stirring in your heart has to do with that. You may be facing conflicts in your relationships uh, or the relationships of the people around you, whether it's in in, in your office or 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 other people's marriage relationships, and and God has placed you in a position where He's stirring your heart and saying, look, I cannot not do anything about this. I want to bring peace. I want to see reconciliation take place. If that's you, God's calling you, God's stirring your heart, I always want to say this message is for you. God wants to speak to you. And I let the Holy Spirit begin to just convict you and empower you and, and, and embolden you and strengthen you. But all of us, all of us, we are called of God. And God will begin to stir, if he hasn't already, stirred your heart for the things of God, for the purposes of God, and they are specific to you. They're specific to the giftings God has given you. They're specific to the skills that God has given you. But God is always calling us as individuals and as a church and stirring our hearts for the things that he longs for us to do. Just this week, one of our conversations with one of our LifeGen leaders, we, we asked her, what has God called you to do? What has God called you to do? And oftentimes, we, we hear of people who, who really, really sense the, the the, the passion of God for young people, for the next generation, for revival, for, for change in their communities. And, and, and they say that. But this particular leader just kind of thought about it for a while. And then she said that what God has called her to do was to see that she would be able to bring her friends who have left the faith back to Jesus Christ. I say, that's, that's amazing. 
That's important. Because as she said it, I know God was stirring her heart because as she said it, her emotions start to well up. The faces of her friends who had left the faith coming, flashing through her mind. And, and, and tears were just flowing because, because God was stirring her up. God was stirring her heart and saying, these are the people that I've called you to. And as she was sharing, God was stirring my heart because he's saying, look, if that's what she wants to do, if that's what I've called her to do, can you lead her and disciple her so that she is able to do what, God, what I've called her to do, what I've prepared and called her to do? A lot of times this stirring will call us out of our comfort zone. Because like my friend was, like our life gen leader, my friend was, was, was sharing, she knows that this is what she wants to do, that what, that's what God called, has called her to do. But she also realizes that there may be difficulties. She realizes that there may be ridicule. She realizes that there may be disappointments. And she wants, she, she wants to do what God has called her to do, but it's going to cause her to step out of her comfort zone and move and live in a life of, in that sense, joyful discomfort of obeying and following God. Similarly to the Jews in Babylon or Persia. That's where they've grown up. For 70 years, the majority of these people were either born there or at least grew up there. They've grown up in a foreign land with foreign people. Yes, they probably continued to learn and, 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 and held on to their culture, but this was a foreign land. This was the world they grew up in, and now God was stirring their hearts to go back to Jerusalem. They've heard of Jerusalem because of the stories, because of the, the passed down traditions in their culture. They've heard of Jerusalem. They've heard of the, the glory of the former temple. And their hearts are being stirred, but Jerusalem is not the Jerusalem they used to hear of. Jerusalem that time was desolate. It had been burnt down. It had been torn down. It was not livable. And now if I'm going to be stirred by God and obey Him, I'm going to have to move out of my comfort zone, my world at that point, and move to a place where I've got to start all over again. They know this. And as much as God has called us, we know it too. We're going to live out of our comfort zone but walking in the journey that God has for us. And so we're going to answer the call today. We're going to say, God, if you're stirring me, I want to walk with you. I know that you will journey with me. I know that this is an entire journey where you are teaching me and molding me. As you stir me up, as you incite an emotion within me, as you incite me to action, as you cause me to move, Lord, I want to move with you. This is a long journey. It's the journey of our lives. That's what God has called us to live out for. When God calls us, when God stirs our hearts, a few things happen. The first one is this. God provides resonance. Say resonance. resonance. Resonance is essentially the idea that if God has called you, He will also bring alongside you people whose hearts God has also called and stirred their hearts to go with you. Key principle, we're not low rangers. God does not call us to be lone rangers in our work, ministry, or whatever God has called us to do. He will bring alongside us people. And that's what you see. King Cyrus, from the top of the Persian Empire, he says, God has charged me to build a house in Jerusalem. And then it takes a while, right? Faster 
I mean, not as fast as, as, as uh, postal today, all right? But he, when he makes this decree, he sends all his messengers, his couriers, sit on their horses, right? The fastest horses you've got and go throughout the empire telling people that this is my decree and wherever you are, if you're a captive, you're a sojourner, if you're, if you're one of the survivors of the Jerusalem uh, overtaken by Babylon and you want to go back, Go, but it takes time for these messengers to go. But as these messengers are going, faster than a virus is God stirring the hearts of the Jews, perhaps even before they heard this decree. But, but the hearts of the Jews were being stirred by God, thinking about the, 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 the homeland, thinking about Jerusalem, thinking about the temple of God that has been torn down, burnt down. And then when the decree comes and they hear it and the, and the messengers come and say to this city or to this town, the king has said, if you want to go back, go back because the king has been charged by God to build a house in Jerusalem. They went too. There was a resonance in what God was saying to the king and what God was saying to the people. And when that resonance takes place, we know that that's what God is doing. Because that resonance wasn't just to those who went. That resonance was also to the people who supported those who went. You could have come into a situation where I say, God has called me to go, and then they say, uh, then, then, and they go, and nobody around them supports them. Nobody around them says, I give you silver, I give you gold, I give you animals, I give you whatever you need. I give you free will offering or so. But there was a resonance with the people around them as well, saying, if God has stirred your heart, God has also stirred my heart. I'm not going with you, but I am supporting you. I am supporting you with what I've got. I'm supporting you with my will, my free will offerings to the house of the Lord. And so there was resonance. When God calls us, He calls us to move and and to long to do things that He gets glory from. And so what he's doing now is that when he's calling us, he's creating resonance with other people who will say, if you're going to give God glory in this area, I'm going to go with you too. I know some of you look at this and you go, but hey, a lot of times when I do what God calls me to do is a very lonely journey. It's like only I have this cross to bear. But I want to say this. There are times, there are seasons in our lives when we don't necessarily see the resonance. When the king issued the decree, he didn't know if the rest of the people would agree. When the people in their hearts stirred in their hearts, they didn't know if they were ever able to go. But there will come a time when God brings that resonance and obviously you will be able to see it. You will be able to see God bring the resonance, bring the parts of the people that he has stirred from all over the place to come together and to say, this is what we will do because God has called us to do this together. We see this throughout the Bible. Even when times when people disagree with how to, with how, with how to operate things, Paul and Barnabas is a good example, but they resonate when it says we want to reach out to the Gentile people. We want to build a church. We want to bring the gospel to them. And so even though they didn't always work together, they were always supporting one another because there was a resonance. And when they were not working together, there were other people working together with them 
Because God had brought resonance into their hearts to say, go with Paul, go with Barnabas, be discipled by them, and so that you can too, you too can reach out to the church. You too can reach out to the, bring the gospel to the different nations that God had called them to. There will always be resonance. But the most important thing when we feel that there is no resonance is this. There are times and seasons when God reminds us that the person who brings the resonance is Him. And it is only in Him that we rely on. It is only in Him who calls the people together, who brings those networks together, who brings that working together because He stirs their hearts. And so we rely on Him. We depend on Him. And it is God who, no matter what happens, is the one who is always with us. We read in Haggai, God says, I am with you. I am with you. So you may not feel the resonance, but you know God is with you. And around you, you may not see it, but God is also bringing hearts to align with God's purposes. And when they see yours, they go, there's the connection. There's the resonance. But here's the other thing. You will see in the story from Ezra and in Haggai that for a long period of time, there was no work. No building of the house. What happened? When they started to build the house of the Lord, when they laid the foundations, opposition began to take place. People began to start stopping them or trying to prevent them from building the house of the Lord. And so the people in the surrounding nations, surrounding Jerusalem, surrounding Judah, would, would begin by doing things like, hey, let me help you. Pretense, huh? Let me help you because I worship the same God that you worship, huh? All right? Apparently not true. So they said, no, we will do this ourselves. Go mind your own business. But because they were left out, these guys would say, I'm going to try and find another way to stop them. All right? So they started discouraging them. They started inciting fear. They even started bribing officials to frustrate their plans. And none of those things stopped the Jews from building the temple until they decided, until this opposition decided, they would go to the king of Persia and ask for a stop work order. And they got it. They got the stop work order and work stopped. No one was involved in rebuilding the house of the Lord the moment that order was issued. Now here's the thing. There are times when we often point to the enemy and say, the enemy did this. The enemy stopped us. The enemy opposed us. But I'm going to go back to Haggai because Haggai points us to something within us that is more sinister than anything the enemy tries to do at us. And that is the word complacency. Now, here's why I, I, I believe so. You see, the Jews went to Jerusalem and they were excited. They said, we've got the king's decree. We're going to rebuild the house of the Lord and we're going to um, uh, do this and, and give God the glory. Let the glory come back to the house. And so they, they started to build. But as that opposition begins to pile on them and pile on them and pile on them, their resolve began to fizzle out. The excitement, the passion began to fizzle out. It was almost like this Malay proverb, you know, hangat, hangat, tahi ayam. Hot, hot chicken poo poo. 
all right? Um, I have no reason, I have no understanding. If you know BM, please come and teach me uh, why. But I don't know why they use chicken poop as the, as the analogy, all right? But the idea basically is this. Someone who is hangat hangat tai ayam is someone who is really excited to do something, but as, as it goes along, that excitement fizzles out, and usually quite fast. The excitement fizzles out, and that's it. It ends. And so when, when you see this guy so passionate about something, next two years, three years, and suddenly, eh, I don't know what he's doing anymore. Right? Because he hangat, hangat, tahi ayam. And so maybe that was the case with the Jews, because as the opposition kept piling on and piling on until you got the stop work order, their resolve waned. But I want to also point out that it is not the opposition that stopped them. I want to say that it is their resolve that stopped them. That resolve had waned so much. And the reason why I say this is because in Haggai, when they started rebuilding the house, the stop work order was still there. That stop work order had not been revoked, it had not been removed. And so technically what they were doing was they were building the house despite the stop work order. So the issue was not the stop work order, the issue was in their hearts their resolve, their passion, the stirring in their hearts, had it gone cold? Had it gone cold? And so when we go back to Haggai, we see that the reason why they had stopped the work was not necessarily the stop work order itself. It was because that stop work order made them think, oh well, if that's the case, then no point. Lah. This is not worth my fight. This is not worth my energy anymore. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go back and start building my family business. I'm going to go back to my plantations. I'm going to go back to my comfort. I'm going to go back to my convenience. I'm going to go back to, to making sure there's food on the table and, and enough food on the table and drinks and clothing and, and all those necessities and, 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 and maybe even some more. And that is why in Haggai, in Haggai, it says there, is it time in Haggai chapter 1, verse 4, is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your houses while this house lies in ruins? Because you have sown much, harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you are never filled. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them in pockets with holes. Here's the thing, friends. Here's the thing. I don't know about you, but there are a lot of times when we've been passionate about something that God has called us to. But then in that season or in that journey, our passion began to fizzle out for whatever reason. Maybe it's because the law says so. Maybe it's because you've been limited by your circumstances. Maybe it's because of fear. You're not sure if you're going to go this far, whether God is going to go with you. You're not sure if you're going to go this far, whether God's going to take care of your family, God's going to take care of your provisions and your needs. If you're going to go full on with the passion of God in your heart, the stirring of God in your heart, there could very well be this fear inside of you that this is what you're going to lose or risk, this comfort, this convenience. And sometimes they sound very legitimate. But if it means stepping away from the promises and as stepping away from the calling and the promises of God over your life, then my question to us is, how do we respond? Because 
The reality is that all of us go through it, even the strongest of us. All of us go through this. Not just do we face opposition from outside, we also face our own human weaknesses, our own failures, our own circumstances, and, and, and who we are and our struggles. And oftentimes, we fail. Oftentimes, we, keep our, we lose focus. We take our eyes off the primary objective. Their primary objective was to build the, rebuild the house of the Lord, and they took their eyes off it. And this is why God sends people like Haggai. Because in that journey, not just does God bring resonance, there are times when God brings rebuke and restoration. Rebuke and restoration. The reason is this. There are times, and God knows this, in that long journey, we fail, we struggle, we keep our eyes off the price, and we, off the primary objective, and God says, no, come back, come back. And that's what Haggai was telling the, the, the Jews at the time. He says, look, how can you leave the house of the Lord in ruins and you focus on your own houses, your own food, your own drink, your own clothes, your own wages? Come back to this. Come back to building the house of the Lord. Consider your ways. Consider your ways. Friends, the book of Haggai and even Zechariah tell us that this is what Haggai and Zechariah as prophets did. They spoke into the lives of the Jews. They raised them up and they said, look, the Lord says what you're doing is wrong, but I'm going to re-stir you once again and I'm going to restore you once again. And so he brings that rebuke, he brings that reminder through Haggai and Zechariah to the Jews at the time and saying, look, focus on the house of God. He, he, he brings that and he also says, as you focus, as you build the house of the Lord, I am the one who will bring the blessing. I am the one who will bring my glory. I will shake the heavens and the earth and I will bring the treasures of the nations into this house. I will bless Friends, we all go through this journey where the stirring of God and the passion and the excitement can at times fizzle out. But God comes and says, He reminds us, He rebukes us, but then He says, I will carry you through, I will restore. And so God begins to stir their hearts once again. When Haggai and Zechariah began to rebuke and, and tell them, do this, rebuild the house of the Lord, God was then bringing realignment into their lives, realignment into this nation. And so there was resonance, and yet when this fizzled out, there was rebuke and restoration, and then God brings them into realignment. Look at the house of the Lord once again. Focus on it. Focus on it. And in that grace that God has for us, despite our failures, God realigns us. Haggai tells them, glorify the Lord. Go up into the hills. Go and get the wood. Bring it down. Build the house of the Lord. Because what you think you have now, your food, your drink, your clothing, your wages, is pittance compared to the blessing that I can pour down on you if you fix your eyes on the primary objective, building the house of the Lord. I will bring my glory into this house. And then he says three very powerful phrases to the Jews at that time. He says, be strong. He says, fear not. 
and he says, I am with you. And then God begins to stir their hearts once again. We read this just now in Haggai chapter 1, when we, in verse 14, when he says, God begins to stir up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the governor, people who had lost their, their excitement, disappointment, and had a lot of disappointment with the stock work order and with all the opposition that had been piled on them. And God began to stir their hearts once again. Zerubbabel, Joshua, the high priest, and the remnant of the people, all the Jews at that time saying, we have to rebuild the house of the Lord. And here's the thing. Like I said, the stock work order is still there. But they did it anyway. And as they did, God began to change those in power around them and began to pave the way so much so that the king of Persia, by that time, King Darius, would tell the people around Jerusalem and said, this was King Cyrus's decree. I'm going to continue it. The stock work order is removed. It is revoked. More than that, all of you around Jerusalem, around the kingdom of Judah, you go help them. You go provide what they need. You go, if they need wood, you give them the wood. If they need supplies, you give them the supplies. And under the order of the king, the house of the Lord restarted and was rebuilt with such glory. Why? Not the stop work order was removed. It was because they focused on the primary objective. They focused on rebuilding the house of the Lord. God provides resonance. When God stirs our hearts, He brings people alongside us. And then when there are times when we've lost our purpose, when we've lost our way, when we've left it away to focus on other things, God brings us back. God rebukes us, but God restores us. And then God realigns us to the purposes that He has given to us and that He has called us for. Two more things that I just wanted to share. I thought was really interesting. First of all, the prophets. Haggai and Zechariah. You know, I asked you just now, right? right hand, left hand, teaspoon. If God was to stir, now it doesn't matter which hand, I believe the prophets were his teaspoon. The prophets were the people that God would put into that community, into the Milo, right? Into that community to stir them up. All right, and so he sent Haggai and Zechariah in a time when people had lost their primary objective and put them there, stirred up the community and saying, come back to God, come back to that primary objective. We have each one of us here today. And you may not carry the label prophet, but God has given us a gift. It is the Holy Spirit that enables us to speak into the lives of people and encourage because that's what prophets do. Haggai and Zechariah encouraged Joshua, the high priest, Zerubbabel, the governor, and the people of the Jews, the people of Judah at that time, saying, now is the time to fix your eyes back on the prize, fix your eyes back on the primary objective, and build the house of the Lord. The same for us as well. When God gives us the Holy Spirit, we, we exercise those gifts of prophecy, of encouragement, of being able to encourage people who are stirred by God to do certain things and say, God is with you. Be strong, fear not. And you know why I think this is so cool, so important? I asked myself, how in the world did King Cyrus, of all people, got his heart stirred? 
I'm not saying God cannot simply un, uh, supernaturally just do it on, on his life, but God does it in very human ways as well. And then I realized, I realized that King Cyrus in his cabinet had one man who followed after God wholeheartedly. His name is Daniel. And very interesting is that Daniel served from the time of King Nebuchadnezzar, and the Bible is specific about that, until the first year of King Cyrus. And it is in that first year of King Cyrus that King Cyrus makes this decree saying, rebuild the house of the Lord in Jerusalem. Why? Daniel chapter 9 gives me a little clue. So if you have time, look up Daniel chapter 9. But it's, it's that situation when Daniel realizes that by the time the king of Persia was taking power, 70 years had lapsed between the, the captivity and the exile. Well, 70 years had lapsed from the time of the captivity and the exile. And if you were to follow the prophet Jeremiah's prophecy, it would then say that it is time for the return of the exiles back to Jerusalem. So Daniel chapter 9 becomes a prayer of Daniel. It becomes Daniel coming and seeking God and saying, God, forgive me. Forgive us. Forgive our people for the wrong things that we've done. But hey, look, you made this promise. Can we now pray that it comes into reality? And if you look at Daniel chapter 9, at the end, the angel comes and tells Daniel things that... that um, they're just wonderful and powerful. But he also says there, there's this one line, that there is an order that the house of the Lord will be rebuilt. Friends, God stirs our hearts very many times, very often through his teaspoons. Each one of us looking and hearing God and saying, I'm going to encourage my brother in what God has called him to do. I'm going to encourage my sister in the stirring that God has over her life. Just like he did with Haggai, Zechariah, and Daniel. I believe that God has called each one of us not just to say, oh, you go do your thing, but I will support you and encourage you and be God's teaspoon in your life and encourage you. And that's what God does. I praise God that as a church, we can stir one another up towards love and good deeds, towards the calling that God has for us. Even as I get the worship team up, I want to just share one of these amazing things that we're doing this year in SIBKL and just show us exactly an example of how God stirs our hearts. Pastor Chu announced, <clears throat> announced that this year, SIBKL is going to launch three new church plants. And that is amazing. That is, but, but they're very unprecedented. It's almost like King Cyrus saying, go, go back to Jerusalem. And like, where did that come from? But I know that God had been stirring hearts. Now, Pastor Chu is not a pagan Gentile king. Although maybe the name Cyrus might fit, like, you know, Dr. Cyrus. No, I mean. But here's the thing. God began to stir hearts, not just Pastor Chiu's heart, although we know that because several years back, he had already shared this with us. But as time went, 
God began to raise and stir hearts of people who would say, hey, I want to flow with this. I want to flow with this vision. And when there was resonance through Pastor Fergus, Pastor Samkyong, Pastor Mike, and Pastor Tabby, and, and all these people coming together, different people whose hearts were stirred by God, there was this resonance. And this resonance was to build onto the primary objective, which was to build the house of the Lord, to expand the kingdom of God, to say, when we, when we, when we say together we follow Jesus, we're saying if Jesus called us, we're going to do this together. And maybe unprecedented, it may, it, we're going through so many things that we've done for the first time. But we know that God is with us. We know that God's assurance of be strong, fear not, for I am with you, is there for us all. And so whether you're in the mother church or in any of the church plants, let us run with what God has stirred in our hearts together. Let us run with the passion that God has placed in our hearts to build the kingdom of God, to expand the kingdom of God, to say that God, your will be done, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And for each one of you, God has got specific things in your life that he's called you to in ways in which only you and you uniquely can serve in in order to bring the kingdom of God and expand it. We have built 2020 calling you to come and serve alongside this church and partner with us to serve God. And there are many ways in which you may, may think of in your workplaces, in your schools, your campuses, in your families, and you're saying, God, there's a burden in my heart to bring those who have left the faith, to bring those who don't know you. And they're stirring your heart. And, 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 and I know right now for some of you, there are faces of people whom, whom you know, who you long that they come to know Jesus. And God's stirring your heart. I want to be that little teaspoon. And I want to encourage you. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Fix your eyes on the purposes of God. Fix your eyes on the calling of God over your life. Begin to be ready to walk out of your comfort zone. But be strong. Fear not, for I am with you. Can we all rise? Can we all rise? We're going to worship God. We're going to sing, this is my desire. I know for some of you it's old school. But it really spoke to me because that's what I really want to do. My desire is to honor Him with my life, with my heart, with every breath that I take. And my desire is that all of us, and that I get to be this little teaspoon and encourage all of you to do the same. And so even as we worship God, even as we just close our eyes and raise our hands and just sing and worship God, if there are some of you here that you know God has stirred something in your heart, something specific to you, something that, that you, you want God to give you more wisdom on, for clarity on, for direction, for even just the assurance that God is with you, I want to encourage you to come up to the front so that we can pray for you, so that we can encourage you and, and, and bless you to empower you to walk in the direction that God has for you. So even as we worship God, and, and, and if we just invite you to just close your eyes and just look to Jesus and worship Him, if there's any one of you here who wants to just come out to be prayed for because God has stirred your heart, I want to encourage you to come to the front so that the leaders of this church and the pastors can come and pray for you and bless you. You know, even as we come to the close of this day, it's been a long weekend for many of us. 
the sensing I have in my spirit, in the grand design of God, even in the context of what is happening worldwide today, whether it be the virus, whether it be uh, the fire in Australia, or, or, or the whatever it is, God has a sovereign plan, understand? The sovereignty of God can never be shaken. And with or without me, God's plans and purposes will be fulfilled as time marches on. But the good news is this. He has given you and I the invitation and the privilege to be involved in whatever small way that we can to contribute into the fulfilment of His plans. Certainly for this nation. Don't talk about the world. Huh? For your life, for my life. And the key is this. Will we not accept that invitation? Will we not say to God, God, even as you can remove kings or whatever, the edicts and all the decrees, so that your plan and your house and your kingdom can be expanded. The invitation to you and to me as we close is, will you be part of His plans? Will you not surrender yourself? Say, yes, Lord, count me in. Don't count me out, but count me in. And so we're going to sing this song again. And you know in your spirit, there's a stirring in your heart that you want to be involved, understand? You want to be involved. You want to be part of, of, of God's plan in your life. And, and every one of us can be involved. So I don't know what is it God is asking you to do. God is stirring in your spirit to do whatever it is. You may not understand it fully, but you know it, you know it, that God wants you to be involved in something, to be part of His grand design for your life, for your community, for your workplace, I don't know. So we're going to sing this song as we open the altar. Even as you come forward, I want to believe that God will make that clearer to you and that you know and you know and you know that you have a place and your prophetic destiny is in tune and in frequency with God's sovereign plan. Amen. Let's sing this song one more time even as you feel the tugging in your spirit, man, that you want to come forward to be prayed for. Please do so. Church, even as we leave this place, my encouragement to you is this. Follow God. Follow the stirring that God has placed in your heart. May God give you wisdom and clarity. May God give you an assurance of His presence in your life. Whatever big or small that step is that you are called to take, Lord, I pray that you would bless them with wisdom, bless them with strength, bless them with hope, bless them with an increased faith and reliance on you, Lord Jesus. And Lord, I pray that you will bless them as they walk in that journey with you. Be with them, Father. Empower them and encourage them. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. 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 Amen.